I'm not sure. What are you not sure of, Mr. Cruz? Just lying down in one of these glass caskets and getting put to sleep. I like to know what I'm doing. You know what you're doing. I've explained it very precisely to you. All four of us will be placed in a state of suspended animation. And when we wake up, that's when we'll take our gold and enjoy it. <laughs> We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome back to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And I hope you guys enjoyed our little diversion into the the, the cheese heads of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah, I, I know I did, uh, for better or worse. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was a fun little detour, but we're back. Uh, we're back in Death Valley once again. Yeah, well, we're back over that rim. Let me let me just take the conversation and go to Canada again for a second here. So, um, it was about a week and a half ago or so. Uh, the Cleveland Wizard World convention was in town, and I went there with uh, with my wife. And I'm getting choked up talking about it here. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, and there was a guy selling like there, you had like everybody selling pop figures, all other stuff. There was one guy selling like bootleg TV shows, not like. <sighs> It just it was like okay you you and I both go to the the Cinema Wasteland Convention here in Ohio and and there there are hard to find films there and there are bootlegs there I didn't expect to see bootlegs at like Wizard World and it was very weird because you'd be like oh well I guess if I want to buy all the animated Star Trek which I'm sure that's available to buy or I forget what was the other shows I saw there there were some really weird things that you 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 look at and you're like I could buy the whole series and you're like why would I do that. Yeah, anyway. I think uh, a few years ago when I was there, I um, maybe it was last summer when we went. I think I saw that booth because he had a copy of that werewolf show that we talked That's about. Right? Okay. Like yeah. during season one at one point, um, and I, I was tempted to buy it, but I was like, "No, nah, I could probably just download this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not give new money to get your downloads." So uh, there was a lot of stuff there that had like price tags on them, like you know, twenty, thirty bucks, whatever. There was a Blu-ray of of all five seasons of are you afraid of the dark and my wife who, who loves are you afraid of the dark? And she was super happy that we did the episode. She goes to grab it and there's no price tag on it. And, and she's like, well, can we get this? And I was just like, if it's like 20 bucks, it's fine. You know, she goes over to the guy and she asks him the price and she turns and looks at me. She's like, he said it's 50. And I'm like, <laughs> what do you want to do? <laughs> <laughs> so long story short we now own all five seasons of are you afraid of the dark on blu-ray <laughs> so uh look forward to, i look forward to our spin-off show yeah uh and so less strange highways <laughs> um you know uh, so i've watched uh most of the first season uh, of are you afraid of the dark now um just like part of it because she wants to watch it and, you know it's something for us to do i'm also just kind of keeping an eye towards the future because you never know there might be one where i'm like we got to talk about it um so far, the ones I've seen, I don't want to talk about them. You know, that's, that's where I'll put it there. It is, uh, it's very much of the nineties. Like we talked about and, um, the, uh, like you, you think that the episode that we just talked about was kind of scatterbrained with the way the plot kind of went back and forth. That's mm-hmm. kind of the way every one of them are. It, it's yeah. kind of just veers wildly, which I don't know if that's just because they're like, you know what? Kids need to be constantly like entertained with something. Yeah, maybe. Uh, did you get to the one with the pool monster? Not yet. No. Like, okay. Yeah, yeah I, I think you might enjoy that one. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's maybe. there's just been like so far, there's just been things here and there that have just been like, wait, what? You know? So yeah, like they. they it's yeah. it's one of those shows I I downloaded years ago before they were even available on DVD. Once again, um, I and I went back and watched them. I was like, yeah, maybe this is something that was better left in the past <laughs> it did not age well so but it was fun talking about it, it was fun uh i i still get goosebumps when i hear the intro <laughs> music so yeah uh 
So, Even though it's not goosebumps. Yeah. So I own the episode of uh, the Tale of Station one hundred nine point one. So I, you know, I oh, can go good. back and watch good. it whenever I want. You know. So, but that's not that's not this episode. This episode is we're back in the Twilight Zone. Uh, it's yeah. season two, episode twenty four, the Rip Van Winkle Caper. Uh, like I said, back in Death Valley. Back um, in Death Valley. 100 years over the rim was also the same setting. So yeah. they took advantage of the location. And there's some there's some trivia about that. I'll get to that here in a little bit. Uh, cool. air, air date, uh, April 21st, 1961. Number one film, The Absent-Minded Professor uh, and his flubber. Uh, and number one song, Blue Moon by the Marcells. Uh, so trivia I had, or not trivia, things that happened on this day. Um, let's see here. Uh, the Minnesota Twins, who had already played six road games, made their debut at home for the first time as a Major League Baseball game in Minnesota. They were formerly the Washington Senators until moving, and then the team that were the new Washington Senators would later become the Texas Rangers. So they played they played the Senators, the new Senators, that would become another team again. So Washington couldn't keep a baseball team for the longest time, but there's your baseball knowledge. Not that, you know, the mighty Casey wasn't there. <laughs> there was no robots <laughs> pitching and, and then later killing people. Um, yeah. I, I feel like the Senators is the worst name for a baseball to any sports team, to be well, to be honest. Ottawa, that's the hockey team. They have the Senators, right? Because Ottawa is the capital of uh, Canada. And their Senators look like the actual, like when you think of like the Roman like type of thing. And I, I kind of dig their logo. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, it's not, that's kind of yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, so that's different than this like, oh, it's just a guy wearing a tie. And then he might vote for things that you like or don't like. I don't know. Um, so the other thing that happened on this date. Uh, and I just feel that this is just showing you the, the, the how things are different now. At a press conference in the State Department, President Kennedy was asked by an NBC reporter whether it was true that um, that two other people had opposed um, the failed Bay of Pigs invasion. Kennedy replied, there's an old saying that victory has 100 fathers and defeat is an orphan. What matters is only one fact. I am responsible. I am the responsible officer of this government. Just think about that. Like he, he did not like cast anybody aside. He did not throw anybody under the bus. He was like, I'm the president. This happened. And I'm the responsible officer of this government. Like, just, just think about that for a second. Yeah. That's, that's uh <laughs> better times. Yeah. Right. Better times. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if you caught, uh, not related to that the day before it was the first, uh, untethered jetpack test. Oh no, no, that's, that's way cooler than anything about baseball and uh, government responsibility. <laughs> yeah, I, I was, I was looking at that stuff too. And I, uh, I was like, well, let's see what happened that Thursday. It's like, Oh, jetpack, a jetpack test over uh, Niagara falls or something. That's amazing. Yeah. So, um, and we still don't have jetpacks that I can buy. So I, I'm kind of mad. You can get a hoverboard. That's not, doesn't really hover. And then you could fall down. I don't know if that you know means anything. Yeah. They, I guess they have those water jetpacks. I don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was a wonderful water jetpack fight in the, the fourth season of Eastbound and Down. I, I don't know if you watched all of that. <laughs> it's between, um, oh, what's his name? Kenny Powers and uh, the, the, whatever his real name is. And Ken Marino. They have a big showdown with those water jetpacks in the middle of a lake. It's funny. Um, that but, sounds amazing. But that's not the show either. I so. have, <laughs> yeah, I haven't watched that show. We uh, I, I watched Vice Principals and I loved it. And everyone said... Uh, what's wrong with you? You have to go back and watch Eastbound and Down. I, so yeah, it, at some point, at some point, I will get to it. It's 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 funny and dark, so I think you'd appreciate it. And there's a water jetpack fight later. So anyway, um, yeah. all right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's just get into uh, cast and crew for this episode. Sure. So Rip Van Winkle caper. We have uh, a return director uh, Justice Edis, uh, who also directed. Odyssey of Flight 33, or as we so lovingly uh, refer to him as Hustisides. This episode was written by Rod Serling, and we'll jump into the cast here. We got Simon Oakland, who plays Day Cruz, who was, uh, was in Psycho, he was in West Side Story, he was in Bullet with Steve McQueen. Um, he did a ton of TV work, and he was in one other future episode of The Twilight Zone. Um, and I guess uh, just in case we don't hit it when we talk about him in the future, his co-star on that other episode of the Twilight Zone he does, they actually died three days apart. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Um, so if we don't get to that when we cover <laughs> uh, Simon Oakland's next episode, um, 
at least we got to it here. Well, yeah, it was just it was kind of crazy seeing that in the trivia. That's weird because so he he's known as playing like a tough guy, which that definitely shows in this episode. Um, but yeah, if yeah. you look at his Wikipedia page, they they have an image of his death certificate. I don't know, like of all the pertinent information. <laughs> That you can put a Wikipedia page. It's like, oh, and here's his death certificate. It's like, we know he died. There's not a question that, you know, Simon Oakland's still out there, you know, being a tough guy. Um, maybe he's been asleep for 100 years. We don't know. But I, I still feel yeah. like uh, it was a weird addition to his Wikipedia page. Yeah, he was in uh, the 30 Fathom Grave with uh, another actor, Mike Kellen. And they uh, th- they died three days apart. Mm. So it's kind of strange. That's weird. <clears throat> Yeah. So next up, we have uh, you'll have to help me with the pronunciation here because I'm terrible with name pronunciations. Uh, Oscar uh, Bereji Jr. Uh, Jr.'s right. I think you said that right. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Uh, he plays he plays Farwell in this. Uh, he's a Hungarian actor. Um, also, a uh, fun fact that I found out about him: he is a successful breeder of Hungarian sheepdogs. Oh. So I thought that was really important to get to. Um, he was in two other episodes of the Twilight Zone, one episode of Hawaii and I, mm-hmm. uh, he was also in Young Frankenstein, which I think has come up on the show before. Um, always, always playing a, a pretty good villain in pretty much everything he was in. I saw one and of his credits. Oh, sorry, please. Uh, he's, he's got the voice for it for sure. He does. So there was an Alfred Hitchcock presents episode called the Oregon trail, which has nothing to do with the wonderful game. He's credited as man arguing at telescope. <laughs> not with but no, at because it's one-sided because yeah. the, the telescope can't uh argue back so no. uh, that's that's amazing but yeah uh he's he's probably my favorite part of this episode mm-hmm. and we'll get to it um yeah he would have been a good james bond villain yeah he would have been you're right and it's, yeah especially considering I, what they, they he would have been cool i wish he would have been tapped for that yeah I, it, especially with his plan that he actually pulls off in this episode that you you only hear about, it's very Bondish. Yeah, and the the moving cave wall and everything. Maybe that's why it just felt like a James Bond villain set, just unfinished. Yeah. Uh, um, all right. So. Yeah. So ne- next up, we have Lou Gallo, who we talked about. Uh, he was the mechanic in Hitchhiker. He plays the character of Brooks in this episode. Yeah, um, that's all I, I got. <laughs> yeah. We already talked about him in The Hitchhiker, so if you want to hear more about Lou Gallo and his uh, producing credits, you can go back to that episode. Uh, next up, most interestingly, and probably the shortest character in this episode, we have John Mitchum playing Irby, who is the younger, I believe, half-brother of Robert Mitchum. Yeah, I don't I, know. Yeah, I know you were... I, I couldn't really figure it out. It looked like uh, his father... He didn't know who his father was, but has the same mother. So I'm assuming... Um, it's it. They're saying it's a different <laughs> dad because if it was the same, they probably would have known. So yeah, younger brother of Robert Mitchum though. Uh, he's probably most well known for playing DiGiorgio in the Dirty Harry films. He's in the first three. Um, he was also in High Plains Drifter, which I know you just watched uh, fairly recently. Yeah. Uh, one other episode of the Twilight Zone. He was also in the this. It, it's a pretty terrible movie. Um, speaking of bootlegs, I have a bootleg of it. This uh, movie called Bigfoot from 1970. Um, highly recommend that. He plays, I think he's like third build in that movie. Uh, then lastly, the only other thing I wrote down was Paint Your Wagon with Lee Marvin and Clint Eastwood. Yeah, and I had him in uh, Outlaw Josie Wales, so he did a lot of work with, uh, oh, yeah, with, with Eastwood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just saw High Plains Drifter and I stopped. So <laughs> next up, we have Wallace Rooney who plays George. Uh, two other episodes of the Twilight Zone. Uh, he was in one episode of Hawaiian Eye. So we got two uh, Hawaiian Eye people. And he was in The Exorcist. So figure I should mention that. Yeah, that's all I got from him too. Yep. And then lastly, I'll mention, because then at least we cover all of our bases for this, we have Shirley O'Hara, who plays George's wife. Uh, doesn't even get a name in the episode. <laughs> she's in one other episode of the Twilight Zone, and she's a secretary in Rocky. Yeah, I, I wrote um, and I I took these notes like two weeks ago. So like, what do I mean by this? I was like in Rocky, and I put lowercase in a bit part. I'm like, what's Rocky about this part? Um, yeah. <laughs> and then she's also in the film Duel in a bit part. So she's actually in some pretty well known movies. You just wouldn't know it. Yeah, yeah. But I figured there's only so many people in this episode. We might as well mention her. Yeah. 
So, all right, that's it. Let's just uh, let Serling set this up. Sure. Introducing four experts in the questionable art of crime. Mr. Farwell, expert on noxious gases, former professor with a doctorate in both chemistry and physics. Mr. Irby, expert in mechanical engineering. Mr. Brooks, expert in the use of firearms and other weaponry. And Mr. DeCruz, expert in demolition and various forms of destruction. The time is now, and the place is a mountain cave in Death Valley, USA. In just a moment, these four men will utilize the services of a truck placed in Cosmoly, loaded with a hot heist, cooled off by a century of sleep, and then take a drive into the Twilight Zone. Demolition. Yes. Uh, demolition. Demolition, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of heist films. And it always upsets me when uh, stories pick up right after the heist. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. You missed the most interesting part. <laughs> Which, dude, like the beginning of this, the beginning of this episode, I was like, what is going on? Because you see this truck in the distance, like it's a it's a far shot in the, you know, the desert and the mountains. And you, the music, the beginning of this is really tense. And I was like, this is kind of cool. This is going to be an actual caper, right? Yeah. And, and then, it, it and, kind of reminded me of like uh, uh, Sorcerer. Uh, with the truck going through the desert, yeah, um, just yeah. So I, I, I was immediately drawn into this, and then it then it kind of didn't do any of that. But it was such a great opening, <laughs> um, and I liked you know the whole. I, I always I always appreciate you. You mentioned like you know a heist film like the Caper. I always appreciate like something moving like clockwork. So they bring the big truck up, and they you know and they're unloading all this stuff, and there's a discussion about what just happened. I was like, this is okay. I'm in right, and then it's yeah. like, and, and we'll get to it. It's like. I just, I don't know how this episode started off like with such high expectations and then kind of didn't, it kind of didn't do anything after that to me. I don't, I don't know, but, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So please, uh, there are definitely things I like. So you find out as they're having their discussion, the, the discussion that they robbed a, uh, train that was heading from Fort Knox to California. Yeah. Um, and, um, and Farwell was able to, well, the cruise blew up the tracks and Farwell was able to use like a, a sleeping gas to knock everybody out on the train. So there was no casualties and no, and no injuries. And then they got away with what was the million and gold bars. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, they end up going into this cave that they have set aside and they put the gold in there and there's a car in there and there's four glass caskets or boxes, however you want to put it. Um, and you find out that Farwell has uh, also figured out how to use some sort of sleeping gas or something to keep them in suspended animation. So De Cruz is kind of calling bullshit on the whole thing, and he wants to leave. You know, he's like, I, I don't believe any of this. Like, I just want to go spend my my gold and take my wrists out there. Like, I don't want to mess around with this crazy idea. Uh, and uh, good on him. I probably wouldn't want to do this either. So, <laughs> <laughs> but as he's trying to leave, uh, the rest of them stop him. The, the one guy pulls a knife on him. And, um, so they ask him how long and he says, it'll probably be about like, uh, probably about a hundred years. And they make reference to Rip Van Winkle and, uh, that's yeah. the title of the episode. Like the crews keep saying, we're a bunch of Rip Van Winkles. And I like how Farwell, who's able to figure out the right proportionate amount of gas to air to keep people in a train car sleeping without problem and figure all this out. And it's like, how long are we going to be asleep for? I don't know. hundred years. Like there was yeah. just like a weird, <laughs> and there, there's like stuff later on where when they get in the coffins, like how exact he is, but not exact at the same time. We'll get to that in a second. It's just very like, he knows everything, but he knows he's not sure what's going to happen though. Yeah, well, he's never tested it, so that's fair. As as a scientist, how can you ever be hundred uh, percent sure until he tested? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. yeah. So uh, they at, the, at, at that point, you hear uh, Serling's narration come in, and they go uh, close up on each character, which I like. Um, I I always love in these types of crime films, TV shows, or whatever, when you have this ensemble. Uh, set of characters like and you get to know each one yeah. and yeah, what their specialties and what they're known for. I, I always like, that's a great way to introduce people saves time. And with the 20, 25 minute runtime on this, it was a perfect way 
to introduce the characters, although some of them aren't around very long. So it like ends Irby. up being kind of pointless. Irby specializing yeah. in not being in this episode much longer. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, so then and after it goes through ever and it pans over to Serling, he finishes the narration. So, so we, yeah, just real quick. Like this is, I think we're guilty again here of Serling, like really trying to do a bunch of table setting with his intro to the point to where it's like, it doesn't like, he literally tells you everything that happens about like, the, and they're going to take a drive into the twilight zone, all this stuff. It's like, he's, he's over explaining. Like, I just, I don't know. I feel like the front part with them, with the heist that you'll never see, which sounds way cooler than what we're actually getting and him over explaining the intro again. It just, I, I feel like it's almost like a poker tell of like, yeah, strap in. Like, I got to tell you everything that's going on. So you understand it, you know, and yeah. just that, and it's unfortunate. Well, when we come back from this break, um, I really enjoyed the visual. You get the four of them in these glass caskets in the cave mm-hmm. and, uh, it, it was it was really cool looking. I was it was I was yeah. really intrigued with this up until this point here. So uh, Farwell says, "Knock if you can hear me," and pretty much gives them long winded instructions that pretty much say to press a button. Well, he um, he has the ability to talk with a microphone that they can hear him, but he asks them to knock on the glass to verify that they understand. You know, like yeah. I feel like he, he it's like again, he only got halfway through. He's like, well, you can hear me. I'll just have them just tap on the glass. We'll be good. Like, what if the one guy's like freaking out and, and something's wrong and he's like, all you could do is tap the glass. It's like, we're good. Hit the button. We're good to go. Yeah. You know? um, um, but, but yeah, yeah it, he gives these long winded instructions. Yeah. And it's just basically like, I'm going to count to 10 and just press the button. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it, it's cool. So, yeah, they press the button. Uh, they count to 10 and uh, press it and the caskets or boxes start filling up with the gas. Um, and then we get a little shot. It goes outside and you see the wind blowing and everything. We cut back in and uh, Farwell awakens first and he comes out and everyone awakens and uh, Cruz immediately is like, it didn't work. It didn't work. I don't have a beard. I don't have long fingernails. And uh, he's like, explain it. Explain why it didn't work. And he says, you know, the body functions stop, so we wouldn't have, and nothing would have grown in the time that we were in there. So uh, the three of them walk out. I think it was uh, DeCruz, Farwell, and Brooks uh, walk outside, and they're like, it looks exactly the same. Road's still there. Um, you know, how can we tell if we went forward in time? And DeCruz is still convinced that nothing worked and they're still in the same time and that everyone's going to be looking for him. But Immediately, they realize that Irby is missing <laughs> uh, John Mitchum's character. So they run back in and uh, they see that a rock has fallen on the top of his glass box. And uh, Irby is just a skeleton lying in the box. <laughs> and it's it's like the goofiest skeleton. I kept waiting for it to like get up on string, start dancing away. <laughs> it's like everything about him rotted away, like vital organs, all this stuff, skin, clothing, except for his ring. His, his ring that you saw for a second earlier yeah. when I think he's holding the knife or something. And it's just like, it was, it, it was goofy, but it worked to get across the notion of like, okay, well he died because this thing broke, broke the glass and the gas escaped. So he's been, you know, rotting away. So some time has passed. They're not sure how much, but they know it worked. And I figured that yeah. was a nice, I'll give the, I'll give the episode credit. That was a nice visual, like shortcut to explain that they, they're not in the same time they thought they were. Yeah. Yeah. I, I liked it. And it had that B movie feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of lost skeleton of cadaver. Maybe that's why I was expecting the skeleton to get up and start, uh, dancing. The dancing um, skeleton caper. Yeah. yeah, anyway. yeah. <laughs> that would have been great, man. What if the skeleton drove the car? Um, okay, anyway. <laughs> That'd have been amazing. I, I would have, this would have been my favorite episode of anything. I'd have been like, yeah, okay, this is part of the plan. Skeleton gets up, goes and uh, uncovers the car in the cave. The police um, won't be looking so for a says, dead guy. <laughs> um, so they, he says it's the year 2061 at this point. So, um, they get the car ready and, I think to Cruz tells, um, I keep forgetting his name, Brooks. He tells Brooks like, yeah, why don't you drive? I'll stay in the back and watch the gold. And Brooks is like, no, 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 no. I don't trust you at all. You're going to drive. I'll stay in the back and watch the gold. So Brooks, uh, he needs some water or something. So he asks Farwell and he tells him like, oh, it's, it's way over there. Uh, where we buried Irby. (laughs) 
Yeah. 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 They, yeah. They buried Herbie. So he's like, yeah, the water's way over there. So he walks over there and De Cruz jumps in the car and pretty much runs him over. Yeah. Um, I, although it didn't uh, look like he even made contact with him. No, it didn't. Cause but, I watched, yeah. I watched it like three times because there's a stunt coming up that I wanted to, I wanted to see a few times and it kept taking me all the way back to him <laughs> hitting him with the car. Um, yeah, not convincing, but whatever. He he runs over Brooks and ends up jumping out of the car and drives the car off a cliff. Yeah. And then which yeah. makes I, I don't understand why he did that. <laughs> I, I, I don't <laughs> understand the concept <laughs> with him getting rid of the car. Like he already got rid of Brooks. Yeah. So now the now the gold's gonna be split two ways. Um Yeah, I don't know. Unless unless he knew he was going to pull what ends up happening with this episode on Farwell all along. Like, why wouldn't you want to keep that car that I wrote in my notes here? I was like, Kevin, please explain to me the logic of the cruise getting rid of the truck. That's the biggest <laughs> yeah. thing that like, ultimately if there's, there's other, you know, this episode is, it's not, it's not the worst episode we've seen, but it's not great. But this decision makes no sense to me whatsoever. Cause if the whole yeah. thing is for him to survive, to spin this gold and they already know that they've been, they purposely went out to the desert a hundred years before because it's an all the way place and it's hard to live there. So people aren't going to find you. Get rid of your one bit of transportation that's guaranteed to get you X number of miles away to the potential of civilization. Nope. Let's just run right off a cliff. We're done. Yeah. And uh, I don't think that car would have started after sitting for a hundred years. The, the gas would have not held either. That's, that was also something yeah. I was thinking about. But it, I'm, I'm willing on uh, letting that one go. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, this was the this was the start of the downfall for this episode after he drives the car off I the mean, cliff. It makes least, no sense. At least Doc put the DeLorean up on blocks in a, in a mine shaft, right? Like he the tires rotted away, but he kept everything because he knew the tires would rot away. So I yeah. don't know. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I guess we're I guess we're adding too much uh, reality to our sci fi here. But whatever. Anyway, yeah. so the truck's gone. It, it's fine. We, we don't have time to explain everything in the Twilight Zone. I, I don't I don't. <laughs> Well, I'm going to go sleep Suspended for a hundred years and you keep talking real either. So yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm willing on letting that go, but it, it makes no sense. They get through to that car. So, um, they end up, they put the golden knapsacks and they decide to walk to the next town. And, uh, this episode kind of comes to a screeching halt here. So <laughs> you see that Farwell needs to rest. And he says the next town is about 28 miles away. So it's going to take them a day or two to get there. Um, which, I don't know. I feel like I could walk 28 miles in a day, but that's just me. Um, well, you you didn't sleep for 100 years either, by the way. I mean, maybe if you were. That's true. Yeah. I, I guess my muscles would be pretty weak and uh, <laughs> bones would be pretty fragile at this point. Yeah. Um, but OK. Yeah. So they need to rest. Whatever. They're in the desert. They're they're really thirsty. And Farwell realizes, you know, what? there hasn't been any cars, I haven't seen any sign of life. Um, and I like that he thinks of like, what if there was a war? What if a yeah. bomb went off and there is no more uh, society or anything? And I like that because Rip Van Winkle, uh, the Washington Irving story, is all about a guy uh, falling asleep and then realizes that the revolution never happened, if I'm not mistaken. It's been a long time since yeah. I've read it. Um, and that the we were still under British control. So I, I like that kind of drawing that parallel in with the Rip Van Winkle thing and uh, bringing up the war aspect. Yeah, is, and, and he... Uh, it was he, a good touch. He mentioned a couple of times, like, you you should be wary of a world 100 years in the future. Like, basically saying, we don't know anything anymore. And that's yeah. correct. And then he forgets his canteen. So I, I don't know how smart this guy really was, but uh, but then at one point, like, as they're talking about this, they see jets up in the sky, and DeCruz is like, well, if there's jets, there has to be civilization, which, by the way, I don't agree with that statement either. There could be jets. They could be flying over a dead planet. We don't know. But hey. Yeah. You know? uh, but yeah. yeah, they start walking. I, I, like, I, I do want to say I like how far in the future they actually went. Because usually, you know, we go, it's like the year 2000 or something, yeah. and it ends up being ridiculous, but if I were to be put in the suspended animation in 2018 and wake up in 2061, I would be terrified of what I'd find. And, like, that's, and that's not that, even a hundred years. Still, yeah. Yeah. Like that's still far enough away, but knowing what we know about the rate of technology, uh, just uh, how fast it grows and changes. Like, I feel like we would have no idea. Yeah. What so, was going on, even if now we were put to sleep. So, 
I like the aspect that that they were so far in the future. So there was that reminds me. This is not in my notes here, but there's a character in Marvel Comics uh, named Major Vance Astro. He was one of the guards of the galaxy in the '90s, and he was um, an astronaut that they sent off, and they put him in spin animation, saying, "Hey, you will have limited body function, but we're going to send you out into the stars to find intelligent life." He finally reaches a planet where there's intelligent life, but because he'd been in space so long, technology passed him up. So when he got there, there were already like earthlings there. And basically <laughs> it was like, it was like a joke. Like this is a guy out of time. And it was like, he's like, I've, I've come from earth. They're like, yeah, we, we've, we've been here forever, you know? And it's like, he became just like displaced because of the technology. And yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of similar. And I, I just, I just sounds like a great that. story. Yeah, uh, and there was a train heist, story, and it yeah. was great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's a train heist yeah, too. Yeah, um, yeah. So, um, yeah. After that, Farwell realizes he's lost his canteen. So, De Cruz takes advantage and says, uh, "Well, if you give me one bar of gold, I'll let you uh, have one drink out of my water. If you keep adding weight to my burden, I'll give you water." <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so they he does it, and uh, they keep walking, and we get a little montage of this happening, like two more times, and at this point, after that, um, De Cruz says, you know, there's about a quarter of my canteen left, uh, the rate's going up, so he mm. says it's two bars for one swallow, so Farwell, uh, he hands him one and holds on to the other one, and then decides to beat him down with the second bar of gold. That's the one thing I didn't see coming. In the episode. No, I didn't see it coming at all. And then we get the great, uh, he starts laughing immediately and it turns into him crying and then <laughs> yeah. into pure, just nothing and defeat. <laughs> it was, it was like the greatest, uh, like 10 seconds of performance <laughs> I've seen in like most of these twilight zone episodes. He went through like every emotion within that 10 seconds. It was great. And then as he keeps stumbling along, he keeps just dropping gold into the point where he's hanging onto one bar and he keeps yeah. going forward. And that, that pretty much gets you here to the end of the episode. Yeah. It's, it's not much of this plot. Mm-mm. Um, so yeah, he's, he's holding his last bar of gold and he ends up falling down and he wakes up and there's a man standing over him, uh, who we find out is George. <laughs> uh, not that that matters, yeah. but Farwell offers him uh, gold. He's like, please just take me to a town. Please just save me. I can give you gold. I can give you gold. Ends up dying there in the street. So the the man George takes the bar of gold and walks back to uh, walks back to his car, which was also used in Forbidden Planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a cool looking car. I I enjoyed it because I was wondering what they were going to do because I I knew at some point somebody else was going to show up in this episode and I wanted to see what kind of transportation since they were on a road. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, it was, it was it was cool looking. Um, but yeah, he walks back to the quote unquote car and his wife sitting in the car and asks like, who was that? What was that? He's like, yeah, some old tramp. He was trying to give me gold. <laughs> like that was that was weird. Like, why would he try and give me gold? And she's like, wasn't that worth something at some point? So you find out that uh, gold is now worthless since they uh, they found a way to manufacture it in the future. Yeah, they use alchemy or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so yeah, and like so basically, he he thought he had value. They thought so. So the the twist of it all would be they pull off the caper, they get their million in gold, but then when they finally get to a point where they could spend it, it would have been worth nothing anyway. And that's yeah. and there yeah, you go. But the but the greed destroys them before that even to add uh, yeah further irony into the story. So. Um, Inter- interesting ideas, I guess. Uh, nothing crazy original. Um, yeah, I just I feel like what we just said there about like greed destroying and then things not being of worth of value. It, it, those are those are interesting themes and ideas. I just so we go through this whole explanation of the story. The whole like one half of this episode is them getting in, like getting into the coffins and turning turning the gas on. Like you get halfway through the episode and it's like you're you're not even like halfway through the story. And this is and then the second half just kind of rushes around and then it just becomes two two guys walking on a road. And it was very Yeah. I was gonna say I don't know if it necessarily rushes, but you, you know uh, what I mean though. It's like it just it didn't yeah. it took so long to set up what was going on and then it just kind of petered out, you know, and it was yeah, like Yeah, it just kind of falls flat and the and it not di- to it dies get ahead sun, of myself yeah. on the twist. Yeah. 
the twist is just kind of dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the whole just like to, not yeah. to mince my words or anything, but it just uh, I don't know. It it didn't it didn't really fit with it. No. I was I was happy enough seeing them all die. <laughs> like I feel like the greed destroying them was even better than the uh, the worth of the gold. But I guess I guess you got to tack something else on there. So. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. It's, it was fine. It just, um, it's, it's, it's that morality lesson, right? At the very, very end, even though you got the morality of the greed destroying them, but it's a whole thing of like what you value, you know, like what you hold to be most valuable to you may change over time and not have a value at all, you know, in terms of, and it might just be the relationships or your cool car that you have that, that, that holds yeah. on. I don't know. Um, Hopefully George and his wife learned that lesson. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I like how it's like he just he just died right here. It's like you're not showing any type of like shock of like, wow, I just talked to a guy. He's died right in front of me. Oh, well, that's weird. Get back into yeah. my space car. Blah, 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 out of the way. We're, go- we're gone now. Like, all right. Call then, him a tramp yeah. and drive away. And then he's like, we'll get back to town. We'll call. We'll call the authorities and just leave this dead guy in the road. It's fine. It's fine. You know, like well, what else are you going to do? And uh, well, I guess I guess at that point we would have had cell phones, but <laughs> who knows? You know, but it just um, so I was going to say in 1961, what else do you do? It's not like you can just uh, pick up your cell phone, and call the police. So, yeah, but it's not 1961. It's 2061 at that time. So, <laughs> yeah, you think they would have had something, a future future communication way or whatever. But yeah, they yeah. they should have just uh just mind called the police. I don't know. <laughs> like, Cause we're all going to have cell phones implanted in our brains yeah. by that point. Anyway, it's like, it's so. like honey, it's four o'clock. It, the rates are terrible. Wait till later to play some mind call. Okay. I guess we'll just drive back into town. Um, <laughs> I so. hope they're called mind calls. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the dumbest buddy, name. Buddy, pick up your brain phone. No, that's fine. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, so um, I guess I'll get into a little bit of trivia here because I just I don't know what I'll say about the episode other than like the no, beginning. It's, it's, oh, the there's beginning not much so to good. it. Yeah, the beginning with the truck approaching and the music and the and and by the way, the, the most of the music at the beginning of the the, the episode is from a Bernard Herman um, score. Uh, that yeah. was used for um, a 1946 Mercury Summer Theater radio episode called The Moat Farm Murder. Um, hmm. So that worked, and then and you probably didn't pick up on it just because you hear this music cue all the time, but at the very end when DeCruz, not DeCruz, when uh, Farwell's dying, and you hear that kind of twinkly ethereal music, that's the yeah. same music cue from What You Need, which I feel is kind of oh, okay. I- ironic because... Yeah, that's, yeah. that's interesting. Um, I don't know if that was on purpose, but that kind of worked. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. And you mentioned the car from Forbidden Planet. Um, yeah, and I, yeah. I was a real big fan of the uh, the cave set mm-hmm. with the caskets in it and everything. Like that, uh, one of my favorite movies is uh, Danger Diabolic, the Italian James Bond ripoff. And it, those kind of like fake cave sets and mm-hmm. everything from all those spy films just uh, it ju- it just warms my heart so <laughs> watching the false door on the cave open and everything i was so into this episode i it bummed me out how flat this fell in the second <laughs> half <laughs> right um so uh one television critic described the episode at the time as a combination of a perfect crime and a one step beyond bit so i don't know if that's high praise like you bring one step beyond into this, which I, by the way, I know I bought it for a dollar, haven't watched any of it, but I'm, I don't think it's high art. Uh, but people, some people tend to like it back then. So um, I, I, I guess there was, it was different, you know, but um, so other trivia, uh, four people put to sleep with one of them dying was again used by Serling and Planet of the Apes to show that, you know. Oh, the, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then also here's the other big thing that I just enjoyed the the truck at the beginning that they used to haul the gold is the exact same truck that almost obliterated the guy from the previous episode on the, um, <laughs> that our, our friend, uh, uncle Ben. Um, yeah. And they, and they kept the text the same too. They didn't change the truck at all. And the fact that we know that they shot in the same location in, in a way, it kind of almost makes this a connected, like, two episodes because honestly, for all we know, that could have been them hauling ass in that truck and almost hitting him on the way to their hideout. Like, and it just, it, I know it wasn't intended that way, but it kind of feels that way. Yeah. I'm going to choose to believe that that's awesome. Yeah. And then both of them kind of dealt with time travel, you know, and I, I thought that was kind of, kind of interesting. Um, yeah. but that's the, the, if the most interesting thing is by production standards, they didn't want to spend the money to change the text on a truck and they shot both <laughs> episodes back to back and released them back to back 
unintentionally to have them connected, then uh, yeah, to accidentally create a <laughs> connected universe between yeah. the two episodes. Uh, yeah, I guess that's that's not a good sign. But <laughs> no, uh, another plus about the episode: um, Oscar Beresia Jr., who plays Farwell, is amazing in it. And yeah, he's good. Uh, Simon Oakland is he he's good. He he does what he does. Um, but Farwell is awesome in this. I again, maybe it's just my love for bad Euro spy movies and stuff. <laughs> um, and his performance is basically just a yeah. antagonist from a spy film. He maybe did, he maybe did. I was buying into it a little bit more than somebody else would, but he, I, I I liked him and he, he was selling it at the end of the episode. Absolutely. For yeah, we may not have been that into it by that point, but I believe that he was walking in the desert for two days straight. Like he looked like it. Yeah. And like I said, that 10 seconds of him going from laughing to crying to just being defeated uh, was it was great. Like I really enjoyed his performance in this. Yeah, he was good. And uh, he, he certainly did more with the, uh, the material than. Then I don't, I don't know. It just then John Mitchum did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. R.I.P. Irby. You know that's what I gotta say about that. Like yeah. and and it, and that poor truck. You know, like I, it makes me, I, it makes me wonder if they just matched action from another truck that they threw over a hill. You know, just to not even yeah, spend money doing good, that. Yeah, it looked good though. Yeah, it looked and pretty I, good. Like I said, I rewound that stunt um, just to watch him dive out of the, the the truck on right before it goes off the cliff and everything. Um, it looked good. If they did match it up to something else, I, I couldn't tell. Yeah. So another thing I just, I did some research. One million in 1961 would be worth um, 8.186 and some change million in, t- in 2017. So had they just woke up earlier, they would have been in a much better spot. Yeah. So. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I guess it's gold. So it, it would have inflated with everything else. Yeah. Because so that's, that's why I started thinking of was inflation and everything. I'm like, oh, it's only a million dollars. Like <laughs> in 2061, like what is that really going to be worth? But it's gold. So as long as gold is backing our currency, it's uh, yeah. worth as much as that is. So. It, it isn't like it was the mid-90s. Or like, listen, we just hijacked this train full of Beanie Babies. We're going to be billionaires. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can we remake this episode <laughs> with like Princess Die Bears? <laughs> it's like, listen, these commemorative, com- commemorative plates – you know, may not go up in value now, but in the future, you know, like we got to put ourselves to sleep for a hundred years, yeah. sell these beanie babies. Yeah. It's like I, I oh. bought, I bought all of these uh, World Trade Center commemorative coins. Hopefully, they'll go up in value. You know, like just maybe yeah. my Pokemon cards in a hundred years, like <laughs> worth something. Yeah. Oh, my number one copy of Super Pro. I'm going to buy all these, and they're going to hang. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, I so okay uh, because I don't have much more about this episode. We'll get the twist here in, in a, a second. Like, and I know this would be a, a hard thing to ask, but like, what's your what, like your favorite heist film? Like, maybe not singular, but I know you. I know you have a few that you like. Um, probably my favorite that I've recently watched um, was Seven Golden Men, which is kind of a Euro spy movie, but it's a it's a heist film. They rob a bank, a uh, Swiss bank, and they have the whole team thing. There's seven guys and they all have their specialty and they all work together to rob this bank. And then it, it kind of has the similar after part as this episode does where they're all trying to screw each other over to keep hmm. the gold that they steal from this bank. Um, but it's, it's one of my favorite heist sequences. It's like a half hour of them going into the sewers below and drilling up through the safe in the bottom and, uh, it's it's fantastic. I highly recommend it. It's kind of hard to get a hold of. I think you can buy like the DVD R of it on Amazon. Hmm. They do that like uh, as you order it, they print it and send it to you and everything. Um, highly recommend that one. I'm a big fan of uh, Thief with James Caan. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. I'm not. I need um, to, though. I know that. Yeah, that, yeah, that one's really cool. They got people to like come in on set and show how they would actually do it. So they have James Conn in that movie actually drilling through a like oh, bank wow. vault. It's really cool. Um, uh, Michael Mann movie. Um, outside of that, uh, I'm trying, I'm drawing a blank now. Well, Those we, are definitely my two favorite. Uh, recently I watched the town last year. That was pretty good. <laughs> I, I, I own that. I've not watched that. It's so bad. I bought it. I'm like, yeah, and I just haven't watched it. Yeah. Um, some of the character stuff's pretty on the nose, but, uh, the actual heist stuff, 
is is done very well in the well, movie. You, you watched Heat for the first time last year. Oh yeah, and, and, yeah, I, and I watched Heat's it for the fantastic. first time as well. And that's it's more crime, but there are some good heist moments in it though. Yeah, like, which is also Michael Mann. But if I'm gonna pick a Michael Mann uh, heist film, I'm gonna go with Thief hmm. over Heat. I think Heat is a better movie. Uh, it, I guess depending on my mood, but. As far as the heist stuff goes, I would pick Thief every day. Um, I just recently watched uh, Logan Lucky because um, it's it's actually free to watch on Amazon Prime right now. And, oh, nice! I've heard I've heard great things and, about it. Yeah, and and, and um, El Gore just covered it recently on Talk Without Rhythm because one of his patrons said, "Hey, you sh- here's money, cover it." And and I just something about it. I'm like they talked about it and and finding out like kind of was more like um like uh, Daniel Craig's character is he's from like like Southern holler, West Virginia. And he's like a demolitions expert. I'm like, I'm in, I'm in. Like, I just couldn't like just thinking of Daniel Craig with like a West Virginia accent. And you know, and this guy's bond and it's, it's, um, it's a, it's a lower stakes heist film in the sense of what they're trying to do, even though it's a big, it's a big grab, but it's not like, it's not like an oceans 11, which I know those are both directed by the same guy, but it, it has guys doing specific things and jobs and there's complications and there's characters, you know? And, I, I enjoyed the movie a great deal. It's it's um it's a little bit smaller scale in terms of what it's trying to accomplish, but that makes it it makes it feel more real to me. And I really like yeah. the movie a great deal. Well, I might go see Hurricane Heist this weekend, so <laughs> I'll let you know. Uh, I'm oddly pumped to see that movie. It looks so dumb. It, uh, um, yeah, yeah. So far, it's been described as the best worst movie of the year so far. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So I'll let, I'll let you know if I get to go see it. Yeah, well, and you you haven't seen and not to make this into a heist episode, but you've not seen Ant Man with Paul Rudd, have you? I have not. Um, no. That's that's a, that's basically a heist film, and it's a lot of fun too. So, um, you know, involving a guy that can shrink down in size and ride and ride insects. But um, yeah, but and, you, uh, well, one more. Yeah, uh, just because I mentioned it earlier, uh, Danger Diabolic has some heist stuff going on in it, and that's one of my like top ten movies of all time. So. What about uh, yeah? Uh, check out Seven Golden Men and Danger Diabolic. It's it's incredible. Both of those movies. What about Hudson Hawk? How do you feel about that? <laughs> Top ten as well. No. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. So anyway, that's yeah. Let's just yeah. I let's just get to the twist. I I wrote down that gold would not be worth anything is okay, and I, I put a two with a question mark. I I don't feel strong about that. Yeah, um, man, I don't even know. I I really didn't care for the the George and his wife showing up at the end of this. Um, I'll give it a two. I didn't see him beating uh, uh, Dick Cruz to death. And I I didn't necessarily. Yeah, I don't know. I'll I'll stick with the two. I didn't necessarily see George and his wife pulling up. I knew somebody else was going to have to come and find them at the end. Yeah, I mean, and the seeds um, are planted with all of them mis- not trusting each other at the beginning of the episode. So that, I mean, uh, you know, Farrell killing the crews caught me off guard, but them not trusting each other, that was pretty much, you know, that was, you knew that going in. Yeah, especially having caper in the title. Like, yeah. you know, you know it's but, not going to go right. What was the caper? Where was the caper in this? Like the well, caper was before. This should be yeah. like, you know, this this is just the very tail end of the caper. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Like the title, the title is kind of an interesting title. The beginning of the episode's really compelling and then the heist is they took 24 minutes of my time. That's that's what you didn't you didn't realize that we've been stolen from. I'm joking. This episode wasn't that bad, but I don't know if I would ever really go revisit it on purpose. No, I'll just watch uh, Danger Diabolic. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> All, right. All right. So um, before we talk about the next episode, Kevin, how can people get a hold of us? Oh, man, it's been a few weeks since I did this. <laughs> Hopefully I don't forget anything. Um, you can email us at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. If you want to leave us emails or voicemails on there, we'll read them or play them on the show. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at strange highways podcast. Join the conversation on those two platforms. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google play, uh, satchel podcast, Podbean, pretty much anywhere you can find, uh, podcasts. You can find us there and it would really help us out if you would rate and review us on there. And then uh, recently, um, I tested it out at home. If you have a Google Assistant, you can ask it to play Strange Highways, and it will play the most current episode. 
Um, more to come on uh, the Alexa business, but I, I don't know if I trust Alexa because I heard that they're having <laughs> issues with it randomly laughing recently. Yeah, I've seen videos of that. It's it's like they're just like Alexa, repeat what you just did. And she's like, ha, 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 ha. it's like she's going to kill everybody. Like it's like yeah, it's Skynet. Yeah. We just didn't realize it was going to happen with personal assistants. Yeah, so um, more to come on Alexa. But if you have a Google Assistant for your house, you can ask it to play Strange Highways, and it'll play the most current episode. What was so it? It's pretty cool. What was it was said? The thing about machines, like why don't you get out of here? Whatever it said uh, over and over again to the guy. Um, the guy with like the TV was talking to him, and the radio was telling him. Oh, the th- yeah. the thing about machines. Get uh, out of here! Whatever his name was, you know. Yeah. What if Alexa was saying that? That'd be creepy. Yeah, it would be. Yeah. Um, oh. All right. So next episode, and um, here here is how it is written. So t- you can tell me when it gets strange as I go through. So um, <laughs> the next episode is called The Silence, uh, and here's what Rod had to say about it. There are all kinds of wagers and all kinds of odds from the spinoff, uh, the spin of a roulette wheel to a $2 across the board at a racetrack. Uh, but next week on The Twilight Zone, with the aid of Mr. Franchot Tone, I think that's how you say it, will tell the story of possibly the strangest bet ever to occur in the annals of chance. Our program is called The Silence. I hope we'll see you then. Here's something that doesn't require imagination. It's Oasis. It, <laughs> if you just took this puff, you'd agree. It's the softest, softest taste of all. Before we meet again, try Oasis for the softest taste of all. Huh. It, 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 it pivoted into a cigarette commercial then after he explained the episode. What is what is soft taste like? <laughs> is it like a chlorophyll cigarette that we heard about? You know, I don't know. I, but. My my mind went to marshmallows, and uh, if cigarettes were made out of marshmallows, I would smoke. So <laughs> I'm sorry, Paul. You're dying of mallow lung. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Um, like, I gotta, that sounds I gotta, real uncomfortable. I gotta I gotta use my mind call and call my wife and tell her I have a uh, mallow lung. Um, no, but I was as I, I was writing out the intro, it was like the, like for the episode, it was like here's something that doesn't require any imagination. It's Oasis. So I'm like, what did I type down the wrong sentence? And then I realized that it was actually talking about cigarettes. It's just like, and I feel bad because it's like he's sneaking in product placement, right? To pay for the episodes. I'm like, don't do it, Rod. So yeah. Anyway, next episode's called the silence. I'm sure we'll have many things to say about it. Aha. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like an interesting episode. I uh, know for a fact, I've never seen this episode. Um, it sounds very strange. Yeah. I've not seen either, but it looks like another rich man's gentleman's club. Like we had in uh, back there. So um, yeah, with be, uh, with another glass enclosure. So. Yeah, so there we go. So all right. So until until next time with the silence, uh, we'll see you guys next next week maybe. But if, if you guys can't, if you guys can't wait, I just recommend crawling into a glass box with some gas and see if maybe you can wake up a week from now. I don't know. Maybe yeah, not. Maybe I, I, don't do I that. have no way to relate this episode to the real world. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Stay out of the desert, guys. Like, it looks miserable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't forget your canteen, you know? Like, the, the, if we learned anything from the Twilight Zone, don't forget a canteen because you could either be in a spaceship that crashes near Vegas or you could be just out in a cave with a bunch of gold. You need a canteen. Yeah, water's good for you. <laughs> See you guys. Oh, man, you're a heavy little thing. Are there any more at home like you? Mm.